Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James and joining me on today's episode are Anne-Marie and Mike from the Wall Street Analyst team. This week, we're talking about Adobe buying Figma for $20 billion, the Grand Theft Auto hack at Take-Two Interactive, and what the recent Ethereum merge means for companies that make GPUs like NVIDIA. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, Mike and Marie, welcome to this week's Stock Club podcast. And I have a question to kick off today with. Um, if you are an alternative meat company trying to, you know, break the... Break the habit of people eating meat. Is there? Is there? What's the worst PR disaster could you have? Um, could it be cannibalism, <laughs> <laughs> or att- maybe attempted cannibalism? Uh, I like. I like to think they went so beyond meat. We went all the way back around, and now yeah. we're eating ourselves. I think that's we're just correct. eating each other. Which, which probably is actually quite an uh, environmentally friendly. You know, there's overpopulation yeah. eating ourselves. Maybe, maybe that might work out. What were you going to say, Mike? I know, I was just saying you need to explain this one to people listening. <laughs> well, <laughs> for, for people maybe listening who don't live day-to-day in the stock market, uh, Beyond Meat stock is down this week, uh, funny enough, after its COO reportedly attempted to, or not attempted to, did bite uh, another person's nose. Uh, I think it was uh, from the report I've read anyway, I saw a report that it was uh, an incident at a, I think it was like a high school football game, but I think a more recent report I, I saw was that it was a road rage in, in incident where he um, pulled the opposing driver close and bit his nose and to quote ripped the flesh from the tip of the nose which Jesus yeah I thought he just bit it like he nodded I didn't think he did anything (laughs) off you thought like it was a little cutesy you know Eskimo kiss kind of thing yeah I thought that's why it was acceptable to joke about it because I didn't actually think he like drew, drew blood well, oh, yeah, yeah. I, this is this is just what I'm reading in front of me. Like, not not great PR for any company, but like no. the irony can't be lost on a, an alternative meat company. It would maybe CEO. be fine if it was like the UFC. Like, if he was the the CEO yeah. of the UFC, you wouldn't even like, get away is, with that in the UFC. It's promo, like <laughs> no, but you know, like he's working for a company like that's yeah. <laughs> MMA, not alternative meat. That is wild. I was yeah. like your go-to. Like, yeah, I don't know. Ugh. He's been he's been suspended anyway, so uh, I, I'm sure we'll hear more about that. Let's get on to more, maybe maybe more uh, normal topics here. And late last week, uh, of course, Adobe announced that it was Adobe. I was I was practicing practicing the pronunciation of that because it's it's a tricky one for me. <laughs> but Adobe announced that it had bought the collaborative design platform Figma for twenty billion dollars. This deal will see Adobe pay a mixture of cash and stock to buy the ten year old company. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Figma is an extremely popular tool in the world of modern design. It's, it seems to be a popular or two around here at my Wall Street too. I've heard the the name thrown around a lot. Um, Adobe still seems to be paying quite a premium for this company. Also, in its last funding round back in 2021, the Figma was valued at 10 billion dollars, and this year it's on track to generate around 400 million dollars in revenue. And I want to come over to you first on this deal, uh, which has been taking a lot of the headlines, apart from uh, Beyond Meat CEO. Um, what do you make of this deal? Is this a case of Adobe kind of using its muscle to snap up a hot young competitor, or is it adding 
rather than it being uh, Figma being a competitor, is it kind of adding a, a new arm onto its already impressive kind of suite of products? Yeah, so it's, to answer your question, uh, I think it's a combination of both. So Figma's not exactly a direct competitor to Adobe's most famous products or its overall suite. Adobe, uh, Figma is used for designing the look and feel of apps and websites. Adobe has a close product, it's called XD. Um, however, in most major companies, XD is used in conjunction with other Adobe design products as large design teams are working across various elements all in one. So that's not really the competitive advantage that Figma has. What it does have going for it is its real-time collaboration, is multiple people can work on a single design within Figma at once because their software is browser-based as opposed to a traditional software, which you would have downloaded on your computer and would maybe have some internet or network connectivity, whereas Figma is updating all the time. It's always connected to the internet. Additionally, Figma is more than just a design tool. It's kind of an entire design process in one because designing, especially in small companies, always involves more than just the design team. I think is um, tech has become more and more prominent. That's that's becoming well known. So the software is kind of meant for various teams to be able to hop in and brainstorm, give opinions, mm. make adjustments. Figma even has a pre-designed tool called Fig Jam, which is kind of like a sophisticated flowchart mind mapping space. And I know what you're thinking, like mo- where none of us are designers and most people are not designers. You're probably thinking like, who needs to access this besides the person actually designing it? But it, like in most major tech companies, there are researchers, engineers, several different types of designers, project managers, and UX writers who might all need access to the design mm. process at some point, might all need to be giving feedback. So to have a product that's actually designed with all those people in mind and is really easy to use is, is has been quite innovative and really important, particularly for startups coming into the space. Also, apparently, when it comes to handing code off, which is kind of the final step in the design process, you know, you make this design, you hand it off to an engineer to actually make it functional. Figma has more optionality um, in that end of things, which engineers seem to really like. So overall, it seems designers today consider it the best application to support team-based collaborative design projects. And Adobe has apparently attempted to recreate this functionality and hasn't succeeded. Okay. So it's less the actual product of Figma and more kind of the way Figma has laid itself out and made itself usable to kind of anyone who would need it. So it's more, it's somehow more than just a competitor Mm. in that even though the product is similar to XD, it's more the innovation. It's more the way that it's going about things that could spell trouble for Adobe. And it's not even necessarily right now. Like I think Figma has proved itself popular in the last two years, but it's more their essence and their ability to design products that I think would be problematic for Adobe down the line. Like imagine if this collaborative functionality was able to be brought to a product like InDesign or Premiere and all of a sudden Adobe doesn't have this massive advantage anymore. So I think that's kind of what they were going for. Yeah, well, I, like you can kind of see the natural fit there, but shareholders don't seem too pleased with the deal so far. Anyway, the stock sold off sharply after announcement. So what's the kind of gripe here? What, why are shareholders not happy with, with this purchase of Figma? Oh, it's too expensive. Like, that's fine. <laughs> like, that's fair enough. Like any way that we slice this, this company has been, has had a massive premium placed on it. Like the highest value software company that we can think of right now is, is Snowflake, which is funny. Um, and it's going 35 times sales. Like the way that they valued um, Figma, it's going for 55 times its sales right now. That's insane. And especially when you consider what it was, it was valued about $10 billion last year. (laughs) When you consider the sell-off that so many companies have had in the last year, to pay double a 2021 price to me seems seems nuts. Yeah, I think it's just a reflection of of maybe how threatening Adobe pictures Figma to be in Mm. the long-term mindset. Like, obviously they think that their moat is significantly threatened. And if by they if they absorb Figma, it will be of benefit to them. I mean, we can maybe give a little bit of leeway here in terms of pricing and that Figma's 
has very much had kind of a low ball price on its product for years. And the reason for that is because it has existed in Adobe's kind of looming shadow. Adobe has so much pricing power. It's, you, you know, everyone knows an Adobe product and everyone ends up with a subscription to them. And so like Figma has this great product that people really love, but it's entry level is actually free. If you're an independent designer, you start off by paying nothing. And then from there, once you get a professional cut, it's only $12 a month. Mm-hmm. Like if you have this, this product that's so beloved, you can probably get away with spending more. Additionally, Probably Adobe is thinking like, gosh, it's so great that Figma has figured out a way to convince companies that everyone in addition to designers needs access to a design product. So suddenly they can sell way more licenses to a software. So I'd say Adobe likes that feature. Um, But I also, yeah, I think it just really reflects their panic. I think they were caught a bit on the back foot here by Figma. Adobe has a history of, of acquiring competitors because I think in many ways, like the strength of Adobe is that it's a monopoly. It monopolizes certain elements of software and it has to maintain that moat in order to maintain competitive. And um, yeah, I think that, that that they just saw that Figma was too much of a threat to them in, in the long term. Yeah. And um, I think we really see that when a big part of the deal uh, was they had huge retention packages written into it. So everyone, all of kind of uh, key members of Figma's team, in addition to his founding CEO, is a guy named Dylan Field, uh, who started the company when he was 20. He's only 30 now. Um, and he attracted in a lot of seed money from people like Peter Thiel. I mean, the company's been pretty impressive. So hmm. um, I think Adobe just needed to have needed to have like i think if they let them continue to develop as they had i mean in 2020 the company was only worth two billion dollars i think it was just it was just too big of a threat adobe was just was just too worried you you, you call um, i think it's ironic as well that i've said this on the podcast before the adobe ceo was basically saying this sell-off is good for big tech companies there's a lot of buying opportunities out there and then mm. he just completely <laughs> panics and goes for 50 times sales and it's like yeah that's <laughs> that's that's what this market dictates right now is those kind of valuations uh, yeah just absolutely panic one. i just want to go back to something you said there Anne marie and you, you call adobe you know uh a monopoly and you know its yeah. power and you know using the very very reliable source of twitter i've noticed in the past <laughs> couple of days that a lot of figma users really aren't happy with, yeah. with this purchase and, and it being bought over by this company and you mentioned how i suppose figma was you know a, a source of innovation and, and, and a real kind of upstart in the industry do you think there's a danger that there could be an exodus from the platform um, or it could lose i suppose the the luster that that attracted adobe to it I I don't think so. Like I don't think there are enough competitors within this landscape. So currently, there's Figma, uh, there's Adobe XD, and then there's Sketch, um, which is kind of more up and coming. I think Sketch is locked in iOS though. So if you're on um, a PC, you actually can't use the software at all. Um, I don't. Yeah. So I don't think there's enough competition to have this kind of mass exodus out of Figma. I think it's fair enough that people are frustrated. Um, a good comparison to how Figma like occupies the minds of designers right now is it's quite similar to what Slack was doing a couple years ago where everyone was locked into like Microsoft Teams and there were so many issues with Microsoft Teams, but Microsoft would never address them because it was Mm. the only thing operating in the space. And I think Figma became this slack it became you know this up and coming thing that all these young companies loved and was scaling with all of these um these startups and i don't think that there's like a slack to now compete with okay i think it's i think it should be fine um it is though a funny way to kind of go down to kind of be known as as this innovator in the space to be known as the small up-and-coming player and then to be like someone came along off you twenty five billion dollars. I guess you're 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 going fair enough. Like <laughs> yeah. we can become I, part of Adobe. Like thirty years of age, I think he's all right with that. Yeah, I, yes. I have morals, but to a point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Adobe is is one of the stocks currently in my Wall Street shortlist. Anne Marie has this 
purchase of this move uh, change our thesis anyway Mike I can see you laughing yes I'm bullying ahead with my pronunciation <laughs> uh, but ha- has like this purchase you know ha- has it changed I suppose the, the reasons or, or the thesis behind why we picked that stock in the first place no uh, part of the reason I was comfortable adding Adobe is because it's like a self-maintaining monopoly I know that we think monopolies are terrible they are terrible they're good for investors um, and it's kind of proven time and time again that it knows how to throw its weight around and, and reinforce its moat um I saw a really interesting tweet last week and it was about how someone had been keeping track of when it comes to graphic designer jobs and designers, UX designers, um, what softwares you needed to be familiar with. Mm. And Figma was coming up more and more and more frequently. And I just started thinking, gosh, like if Adobe were to lose the next generation of designers, like if it was just assumed that in order to be a professional designer, you needed to know Figma before you needed to know Adobe XD, how disastrous that would be. And so – like Adobe's ability to acquire up and coming companies that it seems threatening and just absorb them and throw around this massive amount of cash it has was part of the reason I was comfortable with the stock because they have a history of doing this in the past. Um, Maybe one thing it does reflect, though, is management maybe needs to be a bit quicker. Figma was only worth $2 billion in 2020. They could have picked it up then and like we would be having a different conversation because we'd be in 2022 going, gosh, Figma's a great company. I'm glad they picked that up. It's growing so quickly. But just to kind of flash back in Adobe's history, it took over Macromedia in 2005. And the reason it did it is it had this product called Freehand, which was becoming competitive with Illustrator. And basically, they just stripped all of the functionality out of Freehand that they really liked, put it into Illustrator, and then shut down Freehand in 2007. And that was it. It was just handled. The next generation of graphic designers was still going to be using Illustrator. Yeah. Um, And it came out subsequently years later that it wasn't even that Adobe was all that worried about freehand. It was that Microsoft was floating around Macromedia and was considering buying it. And imagine if every, you know, Windows product that you bought had freehand pre-installed on it. And all of a sudden you've got kids who've been using freehand for years who then end up being graphic designers. You know, these are the types of things that Adobe just has to deal with. And it means that they do overpay for things. They overpaid for Macromedia in 2005, but they secured the creative cloud's future for another 10 or 15 years. So I think like this is a play to keep Adobe relevant. And that's something they've always done. It's very interesting. Is there any any threat of uh, antitrust? We've thrown the word monopoly around about four or five times now. I looked into that. It doesn't seem that it should get through simply because – Figma is so small in comparison to how large Adobe is, and the target market is so much smaller. I think the Adobe's management said that Figma's target market is only worth something like fifteen or sixteen billion dollars, and Adobe's entire market is worth sixty or seventy billion. So as of right now, it looks like it's it, it should get through. There was also some people online who are quite critical, saying, "Well, the FTC tends to be more focused on." social media companies at mm. the minute and Apple and, and Microsoft, um, they think that Adobe will be able to sneak this through. So, They'll probably yeah. have their hands tied up with Amazon buying iRobot too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on then uh, to next story on the list here. And Mike, you pitched, uh, you recently pitched CrowdStrike as a potential stock of the month selection for September. So you must be feeling pretty justified now with the latest story coming out of Take-Two Interactive. Um, so during the week, footage of the next installment of the company's most uh, important gaming franchise, Grand Theft Auto, was leaked online. This leak consists of a three gig file that contained up to 90 videos of gameplay footage from the hotly anticipated new title, which was only announced was in development earlier this year. Take-Two acknowledged that it was disappointing to have its work in progress shared like this, but it also said that it does not anticipate any disruption to either its live gaming services ongoing now or its ongoing projects coming up. However, it does seem as though the hacker is now looking for a ransom off the company and uh, claiming they have stole more information. Mike, you know, on, on, on one hand, kind of a few kind of leaked videos for a game doesn't seem like that big of a deal but but is this a big deal for for take two considering that it's grand theft auto and considering that it's a hack in general 
Yeah, well, I think it depends on how much trust you put in, in a hacker called Teapot Uber. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds... Uh, like the videos of the in development footage and stuff, it's not really, it's not ideal, obviously. And like, mm. it, I think there's a few naysayers and stuff, but you know, it's, it's not ready yet. I don't think anyone is going to be too hypercritical of something that's clearly still in development. Um, I think it gave away a couple of things that uh, Rockstar already confirmed. There's like a female first person player option, and it's going to be set in Vice City, which is like GTA's version of Miami. Mm. Um, Rockstar, I've already said this, not giving away anything, I suppose. Uh, they also claim that the game is set to be launched in Q4 2024. I think a lot of people could have guessed that already. And that it's, this was a big one now. It's going to be that Rockstar is expecting 1 billion in sales within the first 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. So for reference, GTA 5 came out and reached 1 billion in sales in three days after its launch. It was the fastest selling entertainment product ever. So it kind of, Gives an inkling into, I suppose, the expectations that are on GTA 6. But yeah. it's not just what's been released that has given Rockstar and Take-Two headaches. Our mate Teapot also claims that he's gained source code for GTA 5 and development bills for GTA 6 as well. So this is what you were saying. He's holding them ransom. He's basically blackmailing them first. So this is kind of where the real issue could be if this is actually true. Um you know, you'd reveal trade secrets, you'd open up the game to pirating, you could probably, I'm not sure what he claims he has, but could that be a functional game in itself that people are able to play and not bother buying GTA 6? So when you consider how much importance Take 2 puts on this release, that does kind of cause a few concerns. But the thing is, how much credit does Teapot deserve? So the 90 or so videos he's downloaded from Slack, you know, we're not talking about the company's secret recipe here you know yeah. that's they were readily available it's, it's it's not exactly source code and i can't imagine that source code is readily available from slack do you know what i mean so yeah there is there is a concern you know public yeah. opinion and perception and everything and it's just to gauge the damage right now and i don't want to i suppose downgrade it at all and if it's mm. true that there is source code out there and he is willing to put it out there that's pretty scary but i'm not sure how serious you should take his threats right now. That's- yeah, it's it's a tough one. Like we're talking about, I suppose the main the main lead in this story is the future GTA. But like the GTA franchise in general is as is, for Rockstar Studios, which is owned by Take Two Interactive, has been you know it, it's been their number one kind of the defining um, I suppose piece of content from them. Uh, you know, like GTA Five, I, I believe still makes like hundreds of thousands of dollars per year you know nearly a decade after its release how important is this gta franchise and if he does if he can threaten i suppose the ongoing um gameplay or 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 world of gta 5 how bad could that be for take two yeah i don't think we can underestimate how important gta is for take two and like how how foundational an aspect of its investment thesis it is like yeah t2 has uh it owns 2K franchises, a widely popular Red Dead Redemption, mm. uh, recently acquired Zynga as well, so it opens up a huge cash cow of mobile gaming. But GTA is the crown jewel. And yeah. if GTA is anything less than the best-selling video game ever, that'll be seen as a big failure. Um, so GTA 5, we said, was the fastest-selling entertainment product of all time. Since 2013, it sold 170 million copies. It's 
second only behind Minecraft for the most best-selling video game of all time. The franchise itself has sold more than 380 million copies since its first release in 1997. I think you remember you got the helicopter view. And it was yeah. like 2D thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, at GTA 5, GTA 5 was like this unicorn as well. It reached a billion in, in three days. I think it sold more in 2016 than 2015. It sold more in 2015 than 2014. It yeah. kept kind of like, it was a snowball almost. So with in terms of GTA 6, I think if it's anything less than that, it's going to be a huge disappointment and it's going to show up in the stock price too. Yeah, and I remember like a few years ago, you mentioned Red Dead Redemption, which is kind of like, I suppose, the, the old fashioned version of, of GTA. But I remember a couple of years ago when the second, I, I suppose, edition of that, ga- that game or within that franchise was coming out and it was delayed a couple of times and it, it really had a big impact on Take-Two's stock. Um, it was really baked in for this release date. So, date. so I suppose the worry for investors now is that um, number one, the future release of GTA is going to be compromised and number two, I suppose, that it's going to be be pushed out further and further because of this hack yeah i think what we've learned as well is that it's better to release a good game late than a mm. bad game early um yeah. oh i can't remember it now but there was a game released maybe two years ago and it was laggy and buggy and awful and they actually took it back off the shelves oh um, it was like cyberpunk something 3000 yes yeah yep. yeah and that was a disaster um, yeah so that's what Rockstar is going to take two is going to 100% avoid. So if we can't get out in Q4 2024, it won't. Um, so that I think is the bigger risk than something coming out a bit too early, but not being up to the highest standard. Because that's, I think, why GTA 5 was able to become this cash cow for, you said it, over a decade or about a decade. Like, is because it can get, it can be iterative and you can actually improve it. Yeah, as it goes on as well, you know. So yeah, yeah. I Just think that's the number one important thing to concentrate for Take Two, anyway. On the broader story, then Anne Marie, I want to throw this over to you. You know, a cybersecurity incident having, I suppose, a, an impact on on the company and, and its stock and, and its valuation like this. Um, is that a risk we have to take into consideration with all companies, or you know, is it is it something companies can really account for? Like, can you when you're when you're analyzing a company, can you? bake in the risk of a cybersecurity attack like this um and and does it have different does it differ for different companies or is it just something that's kind of random and and extremely hard to foresee i guess it's just something it seems like all companies across the board seem to have cybersecurity issues right every like it seems every company has been hacked at some point i actually saw a funny tweet the other day that talked this guy was like oh i will no longer be using tiktok because their data is insecure Unlike Uber, who was hacked by a child, and Take Two Interactive, <laughs> that was hacked by a child. Same, um, same child. Yeah, same child twice. Um, there just seem it just seems like most companies are not spending enough on cybersecurity. That seems to be kind of how it works in the internet, though. That like everybody gets really excited about development, and then the last thought is, "Oh, we need to lock the doors." Yeah, like you know, everyone just gets it's like a party. You all come in. And no one locks the doors. Um, I guess it is just a risk you have to take in today's world. Like if the company is online, they're gonna ha- they're probably gonna have some sort of data leak. I would say it's probably more concerning for companies that have to handle really sensitive data. Like it's always horrible when like Visa is hacked, for example, or um, or like banks or anything like that. Um, so yeah, there is a different risk profile depending depending on uh, on yeah. 
on, on kind the of what industry you can get, yeah. Yeah, and the industry that they're operating in. I mean, I suppose the issue now with Take Two is like it's trade secrets. And we, see, we don't know anything about video game development. So, like, if there was to be a large leak of source code, how good could a replica be? You know, how good of a bootleg would you be able to make off of source code? You know, that would be an interesting question, maybe for an expert. Um, but I would have to agree with Mike. If all of this person was able to do is get into Slack, I don't know how much source code they're going to have, unless like they. Unless, like, the entire GTA game is somehow loaded onto a Slack channel somewhere. <laughs> it's just, there's a Slack channel just called Secrets. Yeah, <laughs> you go in there. <laughs> yeah. No, but what's interesting about these hacks is that they're actually quite rudimentary. So um, I think with, I suppose, the development of all the infrastructure and, like, cybersecurity technologies now, that's becoming harder and harder to hack through. And what's yeah. becoming easier and easier, especially in comparison, is uh, hacking through a company's people. So it's this, yeah. the term is social engineering. And it's, it's, the equivalent is basically like, you know, phishing and mm. the random scam text you get from AIB. You know, like yeah. all of that stuff. And that's how they got into Take-Two. That's how your man got into Uber. Yeah. And it's becoming an increasingly... In, but I suppose an increasingly like kind of pervasive bit of uh, the cybersecurity industry. So I think yeah. there were 300,000 scams reported to the FBI in 2021. That was triple that of 2019. And this is just wow. from these social engineering hacks. And I think they're becoming more sophisticated as well. So yeah. I think for Uber, uh, the hacker was able to appear as an IT professional and he got the, he got the passwords off the worker and that's how they got in. So, so it's interesting because it, it exposes like you can spend all this money on cybersecurity, but your most vulnerable place is actually your staff. Mike, did you look into a company once that they specialized in training yeah. staff to not get hacked? I, li- I literally looked at them right before they came on uh, on the podcast. A company called No B No B Four, and it's yeah. up like fifteen percent in the last week. And I was like, oh, they're you know. This is from all the hacks and stuff, but it's actually... I, I would have my reservations about the efficacy yes. of a company like that because if a person has their password as one, two, three, four, it's going to take a lot for them <laughs> to change. But, but they weren't up because of the hacks even, either. They're, they're getting taken private. So it's oh, okay. Like, <laughs> well, but that, my I, mind immediately went to that as well, yeah. I'm also, go- just to clarify, AIB.ie is AIB's actual website. So if you're getting texts from them, you might have actually had some sort of banking issue. Amory, your bank will never text you. Come on. Yeah, do you not? Do you not- <laughs> you know, listen to all the ads. No. <laughs> well, I'm going to go and change all my passwords after this. Uh, let's move on. Uh, and don't forget that if you listen to this podcast in the My Wall Street app, you get the full version of one of our elevator pitches at the end of this episode. It's completely free to listen to episodes of Stock Club in the My Wall Street app. All you need to do is create a free account uh, and download the app on iOS or Android to listen in. There's a link in the notes for today's show to listen to the full version. So just tap that and enjoy more Stock Club. Some listeners might have also noticed that in the past few days, we've published a new special insight report titled 18 Screaming Buy Stocks from the Greatest Investing Gurus, produced in partnership with Validia. Using Validia's patented guru analysis model, we've been able to pinpoint the very top stocks that nine of history's greatest investors, including the likes of Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch, would buy today for long-term market-beating returns. 
Distilled into a simple, easy to grasp format, you'll discover the 18 stocks that you can't afford to ignore if you want to build long-term wealth in the current market. We're running an exclusive early bird offer for my Wall Street members only, offering you $200 off the normal retail price of $399 until this coming Sunday. Not only that, but anyone who purchases 18 screaming buy stocks at the early bird price will also receive an additional company report called 54 Generational Wealth Building Stocks from the Greatest Investing Gurus. This will give you more insights into the respective methodologies of nine gurus, including the top six stocks according to each model. So no matter what your investing style or strategy is, you can stand on the shoulders of these investing giants as you build your market-beating portfolio. This podcast is going out on Friday, so if you're listening today, you've only got until the end of the weekend to save $200 and receive your additional bonus report. Visit the link in the description of today's show to take advantage of this once-off limited-time offer. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. Uh, let's move on to mailbag. So for this week's mailbag, we're tackling a, a relatively easy question. I think <laughs> it's a question a lot of us had last week. <laughs> Uh, Anri, for some reason, you've decided to take this on. So can you explain to me and Mike here, what on earth is an Ethereum merge? <laughs> In 10 words or less. Um, no, that's not really the question I want to answer. The question I want to answer is... <laughs> <laughs> that's not the way questions work. <laughs> the question I want to answer is how the merge is going to impact like the investment world, since we tend to not deal with crypto. I, can, I will do a very short explanation of what's happening. So the merge okay. basically meant that the way that Ethereum verifies transactions is changing. So it used to be um, that they were using the proof of work system, which is what Bitcoin uses, which when you hear people saying, oh, I'm mining for Bitcoin, it means Mm. that they're using computers to help verify transactions. So in order for transactions to go through on the blockchain, you need to have multiple computers all verifying the transaction once. It's kind of similar to if every time we had to make a purchase, you had to stand up and scream, I'm spending this amount of money. And then a bunch of people around you also wrote it down in their little books. That's kind of how that process works. So Ethereum is moving away from that now. So they're moving to a proof of stake model, which basically means that like, rather than having a bunch of random computers verifying all the transactions, people who hold Ethereum coin, it basically have to verify the transactions themselves. Like not the people themselves. It's just, it's a whole automatic system. Mm, Um, I think so this, it's kind of like if the people who own a lot of Ethereum obviously care about the system being like not falsified, like, not falsified or whatever. So they are like trusted to verify it and not yeah. put through false statements or whatever yeah. else. 
Okay, I'm, with, has, I'm with you so far. There we go. Okay, so it actually has a lot of benefits because obviously we can use way less computers doing this, and more importantly, we use way less electricity. So before this merge happened, Ethereum used 113 terawatts terawatt hours per year, which is the same amount of electricity that the Netherlands uses, which is insane. Wow. So Ethereum shifting off of this system meant that it bec- it like reduces its electricity need by something like 99.9%. We actually had a global reduction in electricity use of 0.02% when Ethereum made the shift. Wow. So it's quite significant. Like this is very important. And a lot of people argue like this is the only way that decentralized finance could work, right? Like we can't have all these like thousands, millions of computers sitting around verifying transactions. However, Critics will say, well, that's not really decentralized finance because, as Mike said, people who hold a lot of coin might have a bigger influence. But that's not really what we're interested in, as I I would say. Um, The thing I'm interested in is that for a really long time, Ethereum mining was kind of – had created this market around graphics processing units, which are Mm. GPUs, which are basically things that used to be used in computers when people wanted to like soup them up to make them as cool and as fast as possible for video games. But when mining became really popular, people started putting them in computers to make them faster so that they could mine faster so they could make more money. And that meant like in 2020, GPUs started going for like two and three times their price. Like they would get bought up by people and sold online and they were being sold to miners and you needed to wait like a year to get a GPU. All of the um, gamers were super annoyed. It was this whole big thing. But in the last couple of months, we've seen GPU prices plummet because people knew that this Ethereum merge was going to happen. And that is going to impact one stock in particular, which is NVIDIA, which Mm. is a massive um, provider of GPUs. And that seems to already be taking place. So we've already seen um, GPUs are beginning to be sold online, like on eBay and Amazon for less uh, than their manufacturer prices, which is a huge concern. And last month, NVIDIA announced preliminary results suggesting weaker than expected demand for high-end GPU cards. And the reasoning they gave was changes to cryptocurrency standards and processing, including but not limited to the pending Ethereum 2.0 standard, uh, may create increased aftermarket resales of our GPUs and may reduce the demand for our new GPUs. So if you are a holder of NVIDIA stock, you may want to hold it to your chest tightly for the next several months to several years because essentially one of their most important markets has basically been taken out from under them by ethereum making this change wow and like it's so there's still obviously the gaming market and stuff but obviously nvidia had become so dependent on on this one on the cryptocurrency bubble i suppose it really kind of it, it reminds me of um i suppose coinbase a more obvious example how much that company's you know stock is tied to the performance and, and to the the the, the fluctuations of, of the cryptocurrency market it really shows how it kind of the borders get blurred in some points and um, between the two separate uh, markets bitcoin continues to use proof of work so there still will be gpus being used for um cryptocurrencies other cryptocurrencies use it as well but i think if this ethereum merge goes well i would say like more and more cryptocurrencies will be saying right we'll go to proof of stake we don't need to we don't need to have all these computers and GPUs going. So I think it's kind of – it might be a very important few months here to figure mm. out where the GPU market is going to go. Isn't the, isn't the concern, though, that – I think you mentioned it a bit there about it would kind of centralize crypto a bit. So yeah. if you have the people who hold the most amount of crypto basically controlling the transactions, then they can more be influenced by – Whoever, I think the SEC chairman Gary Gensler really wants to regulate crypto and treat it as a treat it as a security. Mm. Um, I think this becomes much closer because if you think of all now that you know Binance and Coinbase and whoever else, their Ethereum is now used for to approve transactions and all the rest. So now they are in control, even though they don't own mm. the coins, they hold the coins. Yeah. 
only a few only a few individuals need to be influenced by the SEC for it to be regulated now compared to any individual when it was just Bitcoin mining. Mm. Yeah, it seems to be it's kind of a philosophical debate within the within the crypto community where they're going, right, we know we cannot be using this amount of electricity, but people will argue, but we must use this amount of electricity if we want it to be truly decentralized. So I would assume that they're going to have to meet somewhere in the middle. But as we all know, like there's no like the way in which crypto mining has to be done. It is unsustainable. Like this year alone, um, crypto mining has consumed the same amount of electricity as the entire country of Sweden. Like that is not sustainable. Even if um, me and Rory were discussing it this week and he was like, oh, you hear all these miners who have these massive operations and they say, oh, we're using fully renewable energy. But it's like that renewable energy could go somewhere else on the grid if you weren't mining things. So yeah, yeah, I do think it's a necessary change. Yeah, well, look, Henry, I'm glad you changed the question because that was a much more interesting <laughs> answer. Uh, thanks for that. Um, so let's move on then to close out the show with the elevator pitch as usual. So I'm going to ask each of you to pitch me a company that's on your watch list at the moment. I'm going to pick one and in the extended version of Stock Club, we'll dig into it a little bit more. Uh, Mike, you've been avoiding avoiding uh, getting hit with the long <laughs> version for a while. What's your What's your short pitch this week? Yeah, I don't think it matters what I say. I'm going to get caught with it either yeah, way. Potentially. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm not com- that petty. <laughs> the company I am pitching is an Ethereum miner. Uh, no. The company I'm <laughs> <Jesus>. pitching. <laughs> I thought you were serious. <laughs> <laughs> the company I'm pitching is called Enphase Energy. Uh, it's the world's leading supplier of micro inverter based solar and battery systems. Uh, so basically, what a micro converter does is it converts the DC power collected from solar panels and mm. Changes it to alternating current or AC power that basically your house can use. So okay. um, it has a range of solar batteries, and it also has this kind of end phase energy system that allows homeowners to monitor and control their energy usage through an app as well. And it also sells EV charging kits too. Uh, so yeah, like I don't need to tell anyone that it's pretty timely pick right now, considering what's going on in the world. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, okay. end phase. Sounds good. Uh, Anne Marie, what company are you pitching me? We both went with really boring companies this week. So um company I'm pitching is Digital Realty, which is one of the largest REITs um, investing in carrier-neutral data centers. A carrier-neutral data center is basically the the REIT owns the um, – the centers themselves and then companies pay to like use the the data mm. space um traditionally like one data center would house one company's data you often hear like oh google has a barge somewhere out in the pacific holding all their data centers well this is kind of you know for the small companies um at the time of ipo it owned 23 properties representing 5.6 million square feet and it has now grown to over uh, 290 properties and owns 34.5 million square feet um it's a member of the green grid which means it's an organization that works globally to provide the tools and expertise to optimize energy and resource efficiency of data center ecosystems and currently right now it's kind of the second largest publicly traded one of these companies has about an 8% share it seems the market is pretty um pretty chopped up and and has a number of players vying for for opportunities but it's a massively growing space as we all know mm. like with the advent of the cloud and everything everybody needs data centers well, we're we're really hitting the September slump here. We went from like oh, yeah. build a bear, uh, phase land, and, <laughs> and now these two. But um, Mike, I'm going to go with yours uh, th- this week, not just because it's it's definitely your turn, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I think I think uh, an energy company, especially a renewable energy company, is very timely at the moment. So, Mike, let's hear your full pitch on Enphase Energy. 
So guys, if you're not listening to this in the My Wall Street app, this is where we're going to leave you today. However, if you do want to find out more, jump on over to the My Wall Street app now and you can listen to the rest of our conversation for free. All you need to do is set up a free My Wall Street account. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer, elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle on future episodes of Stock Club, you can get in touch with us. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallST.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us and don't forget to leave a review or a rating for us on whatever platform you listen to Stock Club on. From the three of us here today, thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.